probably do it again, a Jewish living will. And um, I think we had 50 people, I mean, 50 of them, you know, people who either they were there or their um, staff was there, and we got quite a lot done. The other big piece that we were going to do was to really um, try to explain to people that Jewish people believe that this isn't it, that we believe in an afterlife and what that entails. Um, there's a lot of people, I know Rabbi Shokat's big reason for wanting to do this, and a lot of people get confused when I talk about it, because he wants to prevent um, cremation. But it's kind of hard to talk to somebody who doesn't believe in any of this to say that you shouldn't be cremated, because if they don't believe they have a soul and they don't really have a relationship with Hashem, what's the big it, Cremation seems like a good thing, because you know, it's, it's, it's good for the world. So as we kind of maybe move along and if we get some people, you know, we were going to have some, some documents about that. But this is not a, a course that talks about that. This gets into pretty much the, um, what I write here. I did write over, I says, um, I've been doing this pretty much volunteering. So I look at it that anything that kind of happens from this, um, because it's not like a paid position for me, all of this is for my parents and for their neshamas. So hopefully, you know, we can grow this program, maybe do other things, maybe other people will use our program. And for me, that's the, that, well, I shouldn't say that's the main goal, but it certainly is a critical goal. Um, the other reason that this is such an important issue for me is because I became from because of an experience I had after my father died. And it's really interesting because when I was thinking about it last night, I was at the Kennedy School of Government, which is at Harvard, and I went to the, um, they had an egalitarian um, um, show on, on Shabbos, on, Friday, on Saturday. And I went there with my little pin and, and everything. And it wasn't really all that, there was not really a rabbi, and so I went and spoke to the is a woman rabbi um, at, at, the, at the Harbor Hillel. And she was really the first person that ever told me about the soul and about the soul, you know, after they pass away, they still are here in this world. And she was explaining that the soul can come to people who need to hear from the soul and different, you know, parts in time, whether it's after, during Shiva or after a month or after a year. And at that point, I didn't even understand what each of those dates meant. But she was really the first person that ever mentioned anything to me about it. Um, never knew we believed in the afterlife, never knew we believed in this. And I was, what, 38 years old. Um, so there's just a lot of people out there that do not understand. It, it is complicated. And when you start to like, kind of delve into this, I mean, I guess people would really like it because there is some kind of Kabbalistic kind of sense to it because you're talking about all these different worlds and what happens in all these different worlds. Um, okay, so we're going to be handing the book out. Rabbi Shokat was concerned everybody would be reading the book and not listening to us, but I think with the group that we have here, they probably would listen to us and not read the book. We'll hand the book out afterwards. I, I did, we are going to give a little handout out. Um, now, I, um, 
got the email address. What we're going to be doing is we have like little uh, a little PowerPoint, and each week we're going to be giving out sort of a summary of what we discussed here, and we've um, cross-referenced where in the book you can read up on some of the material that we kind of talked about. So you know, I mean, if you want to take notes, you can take notes, but you're going to be getting materials. And then of course, when we come back next time, if you have questions about what we did this time, we could certainly talk about that. So um, now, basically, uh, I'm, I'm going to introduce to you, um, this is uh, for anybody who doesn't know <laughs> what I have over here. Uh, and, and because it's everybody we know, I'm probably not going to say some of the stuff I was going to say, because you'll get too embarrassed. So I'm not going to do that. We're just going to talk about how that when we decided to do this presentation, I, I wasn't sure really what Rabbi Shofet had in mind. And it was really very like, woo, because we kind of both like really talked about how we would like to do it as a dialogue. And I got real excited about that because, not that I just have read a number of materials that are in Jewish, traditional Jewish um, books that are written as question and answers to rabbis. But for most people, it's kind of like, you know, Oprah Winfrey does this. This is her thing. This is her, you know, she'll have a very um, important person sitting here and she will just ask them questions. And, you know, people love the whole Oprah method. So what I'm pretty much supposed to say is like, Oprah really didn't start that. <laughs> it's seeped in Jewish tradition. <laughs> and Rabbi Shokat is going to give you a little bit about the methodology that we're going to use and Okay, so so clearly, as you know, the, the Kuzari was written in this in this form. That's probably one of the earliest forms where you see there's a dialogue between two people, and essentially the information is is exchanged in a very interactive fashion. Part of the goal of this was not to sit here and, and lecture, especially with this with a crowd that's more informed than we had necessarily expected. It's to open it up for questions so that we can discuss things that perhaps people either are never explicitly discussed, unfortunately, even for those people that are, that are well-educated. But a lot of these things are not necessarily discussed unless you read the right term, unless you're looking, unless you're looking into, the, into the right sources. You're really not necessarily seeing it. So the, the style follows the methodology of the Kuzri, or even the Ramchal does the same type of thing in his Sefer Das Tumunos. He has a, a debate between the Neshama and the... And, and the and the and the mayach really between the brain between the between the intellect and the neshama he has a he has a he has a dialogue in fact is in the Sirsa Sharon those of you that are more familiar with Ramchal's works the Ramchal's most famous work was Masilsa Sharon it's called in English it's called the Hand of the Just we have it as a step by step methodology based on the Bryce of Rapinchas Ben Yar you know Zrizim Jesus comes to um, uh, uh, Zahiras to Zrizas, etc., the whole chain up. The original form of Masisi Sharm was also a dialogue. Um, actually, it was actually reprinted, it was printed by a, a group called Machon Ofek. They put out the original form of Masisi Sharm, which, which is in a dialogue form. It's almost the same information, but it, again, it's a, it's a little bit of a different style. Clearly, the Masisi Sharm, the Ramchal decided that for that particular type of learning of developing Midos, it was a better method was to do it otherwise. But it's certainly in terms of Ashkafa, it seems like it's better to op- open it up to people, to present it as a question-answer type of format that allows you to digress and to open up and go, go off on tangents in areas that as things open up and, and develop, and it really uh, allows for a clearer kind of path to, 
to get, to get in clarity. So that was really the, what we decided to do for our discussion in terms of the guf and the neshama, what happens to the neshama, and in all those stages. So it, what, not, it's not only open for Elena to ask the questions, but uh, if anybody has questions as we go along, um, we're certainly open to, to exploring that. Obviously, the, 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 the course is scheduled for five sessions, so we're going to cover a tremendous amount of material that, go, that, go, that, goes, that goes from the purpose, man's purpose in the world, the whole uh, the concepts of, of, of a world that's created with Nahamad Kisufa and why there's Nahamad Kisufa, why it is that we live in a world where there's reward and punishment, what the purpose of reward and punishment is, what the purpose of this world is versus the next world, as we'll see by the end of tonight, hopefully, that this world is not the purpose of creation. The purpose of creation is really is the Olam Haba, but Olam Haba is, is not a place, it's not a destination, it's, it's, a, it's a reality that we create. And why we started where we start, hopefully all of that, we'll, we'll, we'll explore all of, the, all of those ideas, not in one hour, that's for sure. Not even in an hour and a half. So, so there's certain areas where we may say, you know, that's a tangent that we'd like to go, we'd like to follow, but maybe not tonight. So it's, a, it's open to question. We're certainly open to uh, interrupting or to expanding on, on, on the information that we're, that we're sharing tonight. But um, it's possible, I'm, I'm not dodging you if we say, let's hold that question for, for later, because there, there, are, there are areas that we, we just can't cover everything in one in one session. So, but I'm ready to. Yeah, the, get the, the topic for, for this week is you know basically afterlife an o- an overview and why is it relevant. Um, so, I feel very funny. All right, we're, okay, we're just going to go with it. All right. Um, everybody, uh, I, I, I just. Can I be blunt with you? <laughs> Are you ever not blunt, Alicia? <laughs> <laughs> no. I, I knew that was going to get... Okay. Okay. Is this it? I mean, we were born, and then we die, and then that's it, right? Okay, so uh, obviously the, the, core, the core issue, and there's no one in this room that doesn't know this, we're starting off with... With a guf and neshama, the person at birth is a fusion of his guf and his neshama, a fusion of a physical of a physical being and a spiritual being. And of course, misa death is when when we separate out, we take that guf, and for the purposes of this discussion, we'll call it planting it. And I, pardon, please, the pun in that, but essentially taking the guf and putting it aside for its ultimate purpose that will that is that is yet to come, the purification process that it's supposed to go through in the guf. And the neshama itself also has a separate stage where that it moves on to, which is which is a, an area that we'll have to explore in terms of uh, focusing on the stages of existence of what the what the what the order that the Rebbeim had in mind in terms of the world and in terms of a, a system systematic approach to the in, the spectrum of existence of the neshama from its beginning to its end and what the ultimate goal of that neshama is. So Elaine's going to give you uh, this. Uh, well, wait this a second. Event. We're going through these questions. We spent an hour and a half on this last day. We are going through the questions. I think okay. I would, we would like your opinion. Actually, we went through because we wanted to, you know, move someone along. If somebody doesn't even understand the soul, I mean, you got to. There's a basic that you got to learn. So we were going to. The, so he was going to talk about when you're born, you have a body and a soul. And then I ask, okay, so what happens when we die? 
And then you say the body and the soul separate. <laughs> he, he went over, he passed all this. And then I say, where does the soul go? Then we have this. <laughs> okay. Now we're ready to hand out the charts so that everybody can look at it. Give everybody the whole thing, right? Yes. Yeah, that's that's fine. Fine. I accidentally it's see. Nothing is, it's, it's an audience that's all. We're working on it. But that's, that's next part. I know, but I'm nervous record with this. Okay, with this whole thing, just getting it going. And I thought, okay, it, I couldn't even think about what was going to happen. All right. Just give them I'm going to give you the whole, the whole thing. Just take the chart in front. Don't, don't look at the stuff behind. Okay, it's I was going to help pass these out. But you right. give me a pile. Okay, well. Okay. You can look at the chart. I think there's enough, huh? You just want to. Thank you. Okay, so what you have, what you should have in front of you, I hope, is a is a nice illustration of four stages of the development of the neshama, four stages of the development of the soul, what the soul passes through, and this tonight we're really going to focus essentially on the neshama and the journey of the neshama and how we know that that's the journey that the neshama takes. And try to, try to, try to uh, dwell, uh, look into and un- have a better understanding of how that affects us. So the, the neshama has four stages in which it exists. The first is what we call olam azeh, is its existence in this phase, in this phase of the world, the phase of development, the phase of action, the phase of change, the phase of movement. And that's, that's, that's a neshama bonded together with a guf. It uses, utilizes the guf, it utilizes the body as a vehicle by which it's able to interact with the Bria, interact with, with the world, and to create its own reality. That's, that's the purpose of the Neshama in Olam Azeh, to create its own reality. At the time of... Yes? Ask a question. Go ahead. So, so um, I understood that the soul comes into the world in stages and leaves in stages. Well, the, the, there is... I didn't really want to get into the Yetzirah and the Yetzirah and the Yetzirah, that a person is born with the Yetzirah and really the Yetzirah only matures at the point of Bar Mitzvah, if that's what you're talking about. Well, I'm, talking I'm not sure. Like if a baby dies when it's before a certain age, then you don't, you don't, you know, it has a different um, connection to its goal. Um, okay, so I'm going to talk a little bit about that. I'm not going to get into that in the deep, but uh, let, I'll share with you what I did. Every neshama is unique. True. Uh, I'm, I'm, what, could you? Could you? Yeah, go ahead. I, I want you to. You know so, what? Honestly, I'm gonna. I'm gonna kind of only because they don't get into this at all. I think that's like a whole nother. He could write a whole nother book. Where do the souls come from? I mean, this is sort of what basically happens to your soul after. This really goes after after death. That's really the purpose of the book. But um, well, I'm I'm okay with, with starting with some of those ideas. I don't I don't want to, I won't let it hijack the whole night. But just to uh, talk a little bit about it as a, as a, as a source, it's fine. It ties into it, the, the same ideas. Um, there, there is there is a concept of of there are two concepts. It's the way I understand it. There's one concept of a universal neshama. Which is Adam reaches, which is Adam and Chava, which is the, the neshama of Adam in his original phase, man in the original phase that he, as he was created, which could have perfected the Bria, could have perfected the world without all of the without all of the interaction that we go through, simply by following the one tzivoy, that one commandment of not to eat from the Itadas Tovara, 
and be, by by being mishabed. Let me try to say this in English. By 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 putting himself into a complete under, complete control of Hashem's understanding of the world, as opposed to utilizing his own bechira, his own free choice, he could have brought the world to its final purpose. When Adam failed in that, when Adam and Chava failed in that first test, when man failed in their first test in Ganeden, they were sent into the Gulf, and what we're trying to do is to bring the, the Neshamos back into the Olam of, of, of where Adam Harishon was before the Chet. Now, what the, the phase of their perfection is that all of the Neshamos that come subsequent to that, my understanding is, are all a chilek of the Neshama of, of Adam Harishon. They're all a piece of that one larger neshama, the job, so to speak, if you want to think of it that way, became so big and so large that no one person can do it. All it requires all people to do that. The way the Ramchal says it in Derech Hashem is that ultimately it could have been anyone in the world could have done that until the, and for a certain tkufa for the first two thousand years of 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 the of the of the function of the world in the olam of bria of creation. As long as the world was still in its formational stages. Anyone could have chosen to do that. When in the first stage, mankind failed to do that, first through the chet of the, the Avera that they did at the Mabu, and then with, with Migdal Bavel, they, essentially it came down to Hashem said, so it's, it's going to have to be a chosen neshamas so that are going to have to work on it, and becomes the neshamas, Nishma Sisra will become really the neshama of Avram Avinu. Which means that, that it was that chil, that neshama that came into the Bria through Adam, uh, um, through Avraham Avinu, and down through Avraham Avinu through a connection to the Torah that ultimately is going to go, going to be able to perfect the Bria, being able to be able to perfect creation in a way that we can reconnect to Hashem and be, and be completely connected to the oneness that is Hakadosh Baruch Hu, that it, or the recognition of the totality of oneness of Hashem. I'm going to come back to this idea of oneness and connecting to oneness later in the in the discussion because. That's a very critical element of understanding what the neshama's role is and vis-a-vis the physical role in the world because everything that happens in the spiritual... We, what we have to introduce is that there's a spiritual dimension and a physical dimension to the world. There's, there are aspects of the world that are completely abstract, that are, that are spiritual, and there are aspects of the world that are physical. Everything that's in the physical dimension mirrors what there is in the spiritual dimension and is here to be perfected in the physical so that it can be manifest in the spiritual in a proper way. We'll come back to that idea. Hold that, hold that thought for a few minutes. We'll come back to that idea towards the end. The, the, that's, I understand, the development of the neshama. I, I wasn't sure where your question was going exactly with different neshamas. What I understand of different neshamas is that we each have a different role as a piece of that neshama. We each have a different role that has to be fulfilled. What gets more complicated is when you get into the concept of, of um, Gilgulei neshamas, exactly what they're here to express and how that expresses. And that's, that's just, that scope of that is too wide for this discussion. I'm not, I'm not going to go there. That's the reincarnation of souls is as other souls, given other roles, whether they can come back as different, in different forms, whether they come back as, as things that are to, as a kapara. First of all, it's not universally agreed upon by all, by, by all the Mepharshim. Not everybody agrees with the idea of Gilgul and Neshamas. Some, some say yes, some say no. But exactly how those Neshamas come back, is it a piece of that Neshama? Is it is a specific task that that Neshama had that the other part of the Neshama couldn't fulfill? That's the way. I, that, that's my understanding. Is the, is the way that it's utilized. When it comes to understanding neshamas that don't seem to fill any um, purpose in the in the bria, that because they don't ever get to a stage of mature development or mature thought or mature action within the bria, how those function? I think that's a complete discussion. I think that's a separate 
area that we, that we would have to explore completely separately from this overall talk, of the, which is a broader, a broader expression of the neshama, the soul's interaction with the guf, with the body, and what happens when the neshama leaves the guf and, and, and separates from that. So, so, to bring, so to come back now specifically to this area of the of the neshamas and how they how they function in the bria. Look, take a look at your charts. There's 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 which is the which is the function of the bria, which is the function with bechira with free choice, which is the, which is how one creates accomplishments for the neshama or spiritual edifices that the neshama can then come back to and 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 um, benefit from. That's the concept of the neshama together with the guf, connected to the guf, connected to a body, connected to a physical body, so they can manifest that spiritual potential, and that's what it actually lives off, as we'll see, that the spiritual dimension simply reflects what there is in the physical, in the physical world. There's a secondary stage that goes, once, once the neshama leaves the guf, what we call misa, what we call death, which we'll see is not, yes? This neshama, is supposed to be, you're supposed to, with your physical actions, supposed to develop your neshama, or how does that, what do you mean by that? I mean, what happens to a person who is really not a good person, doesn't do anything right, what happens to that neshama? Is that neshama okay. just a nothing? They're going to go to Glenn and they're going to get like a hospital and we'll, get we'll get, treated. Maybe, partially, but we will, we, will get, we, will, we will talk about that eventually. The answer, is, the answer is, to a certain degree, that neshama has a limited existence, and that's where Gilgulay neshamas comes back. The tafkidim, the tasks that that neshama was supposed to be filled, can be passed on to a, onto, into a different phase, into a different neshama, or, into a different, or the neshama itself can come back as a broken, a splintered off piece, as a completely separate person, and and it, it, it functions in a, in a different have, have a role in, in what the body does, or you, you have a choice the way in, in your body to to do right, wrong, whatever. Yes. How, what role does the neshama play in that choice, or does it, or, or, is, or is what you do create whatever the neshama is going to be? The body. Creates the role for the neshama, meaning the body fulfills the role that the neshama is supposed to do. The body is the vehicle for the neshama to develop. So, what is it before it's developed? It is potential. Meaning, you're you're asking the the neshama came from an oam neshama. So, where where did it come from? Is it going back to where it came from, or the answer is that the 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 neshama. Again, if we go back to what we were talking about before, a neshama as, as, as a kalaliistic neshama, as an entirety of, of what neshamas are, somehow something that, a, an entity that, that has spiritual potential that needs to be actualized, which is what Adam Arishan should have done for all of the neshamas when he, if he would have brought the Bria, if he would have brought creation to its ultimate, perp, to its ultimate goal of what it was meant to be, that's how it would have expressed itself. But because Adam Arishan didn't do that, because he failed to do that, now the neshamas have to come into the, into the world and perfect or bring us back to a stage where we can create the perfection that Adam Arishan failed to create. Now, that perfection can only happen in the secondary stage where we call Yemosa Mashiach and Tchiyas Amesim. Yemosa Mashiach is a tkufa when there's still Bechira, there's still free choice, but it's limited. It's, no, it's like the Bechira... The, 
and this is according to some of Farshim, not all, that the, like the Bechir of what Malachim have. In other words, it's a Bechir with a clear vision of what the right thing to do is. In other words, the Gemara says, Ein bein ol there's no difference between where we are now with the way the world functions now and what is in, in, in Yomosu Mashiach, Elishibud Malchias, number one is that the nations, that other people, outside influences, won't be able to corrupt us, and Sa'ar Sheba Isa and the Yitzhahara won't, won't be attacking us. The Yitzhahara won't be trying to mislead us. So the clarity of Yomosu Mashiach is that there's no Yitzhahara, there's no Yitzhahara, and there's no Shibud Malchias, there's no outside forces that work against us. We simply have to now be proactive and overcome our own innate laziness, not not the Yitzhahara attempting us to do things wrong, but our own innate laziness, our own innate, innate uh, uh, physicality that pulls us down and holds us down as, as, as not moving forward. Um, to borrow an idea that we just passed by, the chametz, it's called, the, the Yitzhahara is called the Sa'ar Shabi'isa. It's called like a, it's like a yeast. It's like, it's like something that makes the dough rise. It makes it stay in its place and just become bigger without actually adding anything to it. It's not, there's, there's really nothing there. It's just all puffed up. So there's no Sa'ar Shabi'isa. There's, no, there's, none, there's none of that, there's none of those things that, that hold us, that, that, that tempt us to do the wrong things. And yet there's still, there still is a certain need to, Connect, positive, to proactively act and, and connect with the Rosham. That can still happen in the Yemosu Mashiach. The, the, the phase after Yemosu Mashiach is called Tchir Samisim, which is a phase that, lasts, that, that will last. Yemosu Mashiach will only last, along with the Ramchal and the Ramban, it's only about a, a period of 40 years. But the, the Kufa of, of, of Tchir Samisim will last a thousand years. So that means that Tchir Samisim will be, there'll be a mixture of neshamas, of new neshamas coming into the world. And neshamas that are old neshamas that, that are coming back, that are being mechaye, and ultimately all the new neshamas will die out, and will come to the Yom Hadin Hagadol, where everything that remains, all the all the, all that will remain, will be will be the neshamas that were were that, that were there from before, and now there'll be a Yom Hadin Hagadol, there'll be an ultimate an ultimate judgment. We come to a place a, a, a reality called Olam Haba. The neshama. This, here's here's a. Here's a, a um, misconception that most people have. I believe most people have. Correct me if I'm wrong. And that is that when you die, your neshama goes to Olam Haba. That is incorrect. And when you die, your neshama does not go to Olam Haba. Olam Haba is a phase of existence that is between the years 7 and 10,000. If, if we're still functioning within, if we can still talk about it within time. But from the, from the 7,000 through the 10,000, which is the perfection of the Bria, that's the phase of Olam Haba. Oh, the, the phase of what happens to the Neshama when it leaves the Guf, when it separates, it goes into a place called Ganeden. Ganeden is, is like a holding pattern, it's like a holding place for Neshamas, where the Neshamas are perfected and cleaned up, either through, and they either get to have tremendous benefit and pleasure of sitting as the, the way the, the Talmud describes it, Sadiqim Yoshim, Atarosem Bereshem, it's righteous people sitting with crowns on their heads, Nan and Mezir simply sitting, basking in the presence of the Ribbon Shalom, or they go through a, a, a phase which can last seconds or, or up to a year, which is what we call Gehenna. That Gehenna that process for everybody is different. There's an element of Gehenna that exists permanently, which is that a person is in, in, the, in the world of Olam HaNashamos, he's able to see what his potential was within the Bria, 
that he didn't accomplish. And he always has to live. It's that you're living permanently with the failure of what, of what your neshama could have accomplished and you didn't accomplish. That's a certain aspect of, a dimension of the, 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 of the neshama's, the pain of the neshama that doesn't do what it's supposed to do in, the, in, this, in this world. So the, the stages are the olamazeh, and everything that you can accomplish in this world, Excuse the separation, I'm just reviewing. I understand. Okay. I just want some feedback. What does everybody think of the chart? It's beautiful. It took me four hours to do this. Okay. So hopefully you will look at it and it, it's clear and it, it's very pretty on the internet. You don't want to make a mention about my chart? I don't have much to do here with, with this whole crowd, okay? So like, just like compliment me on my chart, okay? Thank you. Okay. <laughs> when I study it, I'll let you know. Okay. All right. <laughs> so, so we have olam the way we function in the bria here. You most of us, we have, we have, we have the the olam neshamos, which is the intermediary stage, the holding stage that waits until you most of Mashiach. We have most of Mashiach and tchias amesim, which are the two stages that move towards, um, are moving towards olam haba, where bechira, where free will is still functional, but but we're, we're not living in a world of of arrival, but we're actually still in a world of development. And then finally we get to Olam Haba, which is the destination, which is, which is whatever the reality is, is fixed as it is and can't be changed. That's, and that, that happens in, in what we call Olam Haba. One more question. Yeah. Every human being has a shaman? I'm going to say yes to that. I'm going to say every human being. Yes, does every human being have a shaman? So I'm going to answer to that. What happens to those non-Jews, their neshamas? The level of their neshama is a lower neshama. Do they, in any way... They were phased out of this, this reality, the, the development of this reality at the time of Avram, of, 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 of Avram Avinu. At the, from when we went from the Tkufa, from the time period of the first... The, the world functioned, the world of time functions... There's 2,000 years, there's 6,000 years. The first 2,000 years is called, is called Bria, the second 2,000 years is called Torah, and the last 2,000 years is called the 2,000 years of, of Yomos HaMashiach, of, of the time of ultimate. So in the first 2,000 years... You mean of the 6,000? Of the first 6,000, yeah. Of the 6,000 years of existence of Olam Hazeh as we know it. So in that 6,000 year period, they had the potential with... The, everyone had equal potential in the first 2,000 years to develop the Neshamas. When the neshamas, when when the world, so to speak, failed, and only Avraham Avinu took that advantage of seeking out the 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 one God, so then that became the 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 mission of Avraham Avinu himself, and, and only the descendants of Avraham Avinu were included in that, and everyone else is dragged along with Avraham Avinu's with Avram with our what the way with the way we uh, the best way to put it is this. The pipelines for spiritual reality in the Bria are now in our hands. To the degree that we open those pipelines, there's a greater level of spirituality in the world. To the degree that we do not open those pipelines, we fail to open those pipelines, there is less spirituality in the world. That Does is it affect others that, outside the family of other Ravina? That the whole world requires this, needs this spirituality to live. It's like the fuel that, that keeps the whole Bria running. Everything feeds back. Everything is, is circular. In other words, the, 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 what, what, 
let, can, I, can we put this on hold till we get to the discussion of Scharva Onish, which will be in the, next, in the next phase? Because there it will become clearer this idea of how we influence that and how that circular, how that circle either becomes, a, it, the way I think of it is like a spiral spring that either is, is either pulled very far apart or it's pulled very closely, very, very tight together. And the more tightly it's pulled together, the more potential, the more energy that it's actually storing up and that it, that it, actually, that it actually contains within it. Um, the more it's pulled apart, the more, the more stress there is on it and the more difficult it is for the spiritual energy to actually flow down through it and come down to the lower d- degree. So what you're asking is, is which way does it go? You're correct. It's, it's, a comp- it's a total cycle. The more the more we open up the spiritual channels, the more spirituality flows into the world, the more spirituality flows into the world, the more we're connected back up to the source, the more tightly the whole spring, the whole thing holds together. But the more we pull apart, the further we pull apart from it, then we thin out that, those sinoros, those pipelines of, conne- of connection, then the, more, the, the further removed we are from their reality. We'll have to get into that when can we I, talk can about scarf ownership and reward and punishment in the, in the next session. But if you look at the, um, the little box under Olam Haba, because... I mean, I've, I've read the book a few times at this point, so this is like, to me, this was really answered some of my questions. Um, the very last, it says, an eternal wor- world of truth where accomplishments from this world are relived, but from a spiritual perspective, not limited by physical senses. So this whole thing about you're talking about a cycle, we're going to relive what we did here in some manner. So to me, that was pretty interesting. I mean, I, I had never understood that before and so that, that I mean I can't I'm just going from the book <laughs> you know so it's really worth reading because it, it's it, oh, yeah. what um, this is yeah, I just, I'm sorry like, the, the Olam Panesh Neshamas is that number two yes two and three together no it's it's, no, it's, it, it, it's it, really in between it's really in between one and two. Oh, okay well they didn't have it Olam and Neshamas is had, really he had it like, like this yeah the three right what? That's Ganeiden, right. It's Olam and Neshamas. It's in between one and two, before Mashiach, Moshe Mashiach. It's the holding place for Neshamas when they right. separate from the Guf right. until Mashiach comes. Right. Or until, really until Tzachiyah Samesim. Okay, so it's, it's really in between one and two. So when we talk about making an aliyah for Neshamas, we're talking about in this world of Ganeiden, or in the first year, Correct. chopping it through the Gehenna that they would have. That's correct. That's correct. In the Olam and Shamas, what their role in Olam and Shamas be, how much pleasure they can be experiencing in that Olam, how much, how, again, we'll see that, that by the end of tonight, hopefully it will be clear that the more we've expressed ourselves in manifest in the spirit, in the physical dimension, we've created the reality to allow it to function in the, in the Olam Amas, in the Olam, in the Olam and Shamas, in the real world. What's the connection between the, the Neshama in the, in the, in the, uh, Adel, <coughs> and us, right? So they've come to our weddings, and they've come to the Yeah, so that's a more complicated, okay, so that, that's a more complicated <coughs> idea. I, I wasn't really, um, I don't remember in which session I was going to talk about it, so I'll, I'll, I'll just talk about it briefly over here. I'll talk, the, my understanding of that is as follows. The Neshama maintains a certain connection to, the, the Neshama, when it's in the Olam, the Neshama maintains a certain connection to Olam Azeh. Until Tzchiyah until we get to those, Actual stage of Olam the Olam in the Olam Hashemus maintains a certain connection to Olam Hazeh. The Gemara in Brachos discusses it in the following way: the Gemara has it called 
a long debate as to whether or not neshamas know what's going on in this world. The maskana, to my understanding, the maskana of the Gemara is, the, 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 the conclusion of that Gemara is, really neshamas don't know anything about what's going on in this world, except for what's directly relevant to them. And the Gemara asks, what's that, what does it mean? What's there? Because the Gemara brings a whole long story there about a young girl, and she, they, they went out, and the, the, this fellow that was in the, sleeping in the graveyard, and he overheard the Neshamas talking to each other, etc. So you see that they do have an awareness of what's going on in the world. So the Gemara's must answer is, really, they, don't, they, really, they know nothing. They don't really know what's going on in the world, except for what's completely relevant to them. What's completely relevant to them is, is, is their own mishpachos, their own, their own offspring, they're those that, they, that they're concerned about, they, that they, they have an interest in, and that's the whole idea of tefillah, when we say a tefillah that, they, that, that, the, that the nifter should intercede on your behalf, or that, that you say, or, or when a person goes to a kever and they're misfollowed by a kever, so the, the idea of a, of a grave is that, that sometimes there's a, there's a chilek, there's a part of the neshama that hangs around the grave because it's, it's connected to the kufs, much more so in the first year, but even, even for in the long term, there's an aspect of, okay, there's an aspect of the neshama that, that's connected to the kever and stays there, stays, stays at the grave, and therefore you have to, that's what we're trying to connect back to. I, I don't want to get into the whole discussion of davening to, to davening at kvarim and what it means. It's certainly not davening to the mace. That, that, I just want to say that outright. You can't daven to a dead person. You cannot daven that the dead person can do anything for you. What you can daven is that the dead person's awareness of your situation should be a part of their conscious avoda, their avoda when they're when they're when they're when they're in front of the kisei kavod. That's that's all that you can. You know, it's what what they're aware of is it has an effect on, on everything else that's around them. So that's what we're trying to do: is re- create I, I can, that awareness. I, say, wait, I just would like to. I, I'd like to say something at this point because I think you're. I mean, I learned this pretty well. That the and this goes to your cremation thing. I mean, uh, the there's a, a bone here um, that that does not disintegrate and it and it stays in it in the grave. And that's why when you go, I remember Rabbi Freeman said to me that you know I, I could talk to my mother after my mother passed away. Yeah, and I said, well, what's the difference? I, I could talk to her. If, you know, she goes, well, when you go to the, it's like making a phone call and visiting in person. And the point is that the grave, that the there, the neshama, there is a part of the neshama that stays with this bone that doesn't disintegrate. And the reality is, if you this whole cremation thing, if you cre- get cremated, I've actually got two people not to be cremated because of that issue. That you know, you're, you're going to not have, to, you're not going to be able to come back because you get, you know, I, I don't know if you can't really come back, but if you don't have, if you if you give up on that bone. And that that neshama can't stay around that piece of it, so it's a it is kind of a a, a big deal. I mean, and I I know I'm, I'm not making that a big no, deal. No, no, I'm just, just saying that to... that I don't th- I don't know so where I mean I I learned a couple of times about that because yeah. there are some people that will not I mean in the, that you can't even talk to the person who's in the cavern. Some people say that. I mean, there's a whole long thing about which some people say you can and can't do after yeah. somebody passes away. So, okay. I'm a little bit um, confused about the chronology. Okay, go ahead. So, um, let's say Tzadik dies. Yeah. So, Tzadik, what happens to Tzadik? His neshama goes into this holding place that we call Olam HaNeshamos, like or we refer to it as Gan Eden, like everybody else. But in, in that Gan Eden, there are different levels of the well, Gan Eden is... 
part of confused with God. I thought it was a function of time. What's a function of time? Like what happens to people, like a different state. Like the first 11 months kind of thing? No, the 6,000 years. Yeah, what about that? So does everybody stay in the Olam HaNashamos yes. until the Mashiach? Yes. Everybody? Yes. And in that, there were different levels yes. too? Yes. Okay. Correct. So you could be in Gan Eden or you can be in Gehenim. Right. Yes. No, the Gehenna only lasts maximum eleven months. Right. So unless you're a Russia, unless a complete Russia, and then then even then only a year. And then your existing. And then your neshama exists is purified enough that it can that it can appreciate this this I don't know what to call it heavenly ambiance this this aura that that that, that gives a pure pleasure from being able to connect to it, of this idea of basking in the in the shechina. Um, and that's a, that's, but that's for a, for a period of time until you get to the, the function of Olam Haba, which is a higher level of existence, which is an eventual... In time. Exactly, in time. So the Kisei is in Ganeim. Because we talked about that. Yeah, so, so, the, so it says, Tzadikim seems to imply that they're sitting in front of the Kisei HaKavod. But I... But I that's beyond my, beyond my pay scale. I really I can't talk specifically to what the Kisei Covered is because again we're think you're think when we say Kisei Covered when we say the heavenly throne we're thinking a chair. It's not a chair. It's not it's not a physical manifestation of a chair. I'm going to get into physical manifestations in a minute and, and talk about that because I think it's it's an important element of it. It's 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 in it's towards the end of what I wanted to get to tonight. So I'm going to come back to that and hopefully we'll but but I just want to I just I have to tell you, it's not a chair that it isn't. It's not a throne. Does that look like the original No, I don't. I don't think. So. I, I, no, it, it's it's not something physical. It's not it's not something that we can that's, that's tangible in that way. Because we're talking about Olam Shams. What? Yeah, I know. I know. Right. Right. So the so the, the Olam of Gan Eden is is has been raised to a to a higher level. It says Nar Yotze from Aden. So Aden was clearly a physical place. And the Nar went out from Aden and split into Arba Rashim, and that's the four Naharas that it talks about in the beginning of Bracious. But it's, it, that's a manifestation in the physical dimension of what we're talking about, the perfection of Olam Abba, which is, which is that we'll have a physical guf that will be perfected, that will be able to be simply a tool of the spiritual reality. But that, all of that is only... Gan Eden is purely spiritual. And... Olam Haba is a manifestation of spirituality where the physical is still relevant. So it's a, it's a whole different reality. The, the, the thing that when you say you're in Ganeidim for 11 months or whatever it is, okay, and then you go into Ganeidim and in whatever spot yes. you are. The whole point, though, about um, uh, Yisker and being able to continue to do things for the departed, um, whether it's giving tzedakah or things like this, means they can still, even though they're, they got some, some purified in, in Ganeidim, there must be something that's happening if people are still doing things on their behalf after that 11 months. I mean, why? why I mean, so the answer is that is, there, that, is, that, is a, that is a function of their physicality, of their physical ability to affect the world. So a person's physical, what a person did physically never ends. So, for instance, the Gemara says, says, says by Tzadikim, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's, 
the Torah that they teach, if I'm learning the Torah of the Rajbah, for instance, so the Rajbah is teaching me Torah today. That means the Rajbah is, it's as though he's sitting here in this room and teaching Rashi's Rabbeinu Shlomo Ben Adair, one of the great one of the great scholars from the from the 13th century of Spain, right? He's he's hasn't been in this world for 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 a very long time, but his Torah, the fact that his Torah is being learned today, elevates his neshama now. So it's a continuous process of what's happening in the physical world, a manifestation of physical of spiritual reality in the physical dimension that affects that neshama. So that's the same, the, the, the concept of giving stuck at Yisker is the same thing. It's a manifestation of this person's influence in the physical Bria creates a physical manifestation of spirituality, which then allows them to be a conduit for that spirituality, for their neshama to be a conduit for a greater level of spiritual, of, of a sort of a, a receptacle for a higher level of spiritual reality. Right, so it's not just what they, whatever happens through them that 11 months. They can still be improving if people in this world are... Right, but that requires physical actions in this world. Uh, I got that, it. that doesn't require right. anything. So, I mean, we were always taught that once you leave this world, you can't do any mitzvot and you can't get anything more than you have. But you're saying now... It's not absolute. You can because whatever you left over, your, your influences mm. affect right. what... That's right. ...affect what's going to happen to you yes. in the next world. Yes. Yes. Right, we've got, we talked about Abraham and the Shama of Abraham. What about Noah's Shama? How does that interact or play? Yes, yeah, so, so again, with that, it, that's too broad for the scope of tonight's discussion, but the answer to that is, is that they want, it, it plays down, Noah's uh, neshama plays down through shame, through aver, right. through Avram. But but technically, the broader potential of what he had that all of his children could have become, or at least those that he didn't curse, meaning Canaan and his descendants, could have having having had the potential to have been a part of the correction of the Brio or the expansion of spiritual reality in the physical dimension was lost. Okay. So it changed. Is there any concept of the of the soul that's that's left off both and now it's in this does it spit up? Yes. If for again, the, you're again you're getting into Gilgal neshamas, and you're getting into into the into the concept of every every neshama comes into this world to 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 fulfill a specific tafket, a specific task, meaning to create a specific receptacle for spiritual reality somewhere in the bria. And if that neshama doesn't do that, then that still has to happen. So then that part of that neshama that didn't accomplish that will come back as a different person. That's the way I understand it. At least that, that's that's my. That's a short answer to a very complicated question. So the answer, yeah. In short, yes. So right. we're going Elaine, to be let's... getting back to this diagram throughout the the, the weeks because we're going to get we're going to get we're going to get more detailed about each of these areas, each of these um, yeah, times. But we're going to move on now to another very cool picture that I got. You didn't even did you see this? Wasn't this great? This is a thing that you can do when you try to when you're doing PowerPoint. You key in. I went twins in utero. And look what I got. Twins in utero. I mean, how do you like that? You said you wanted twins in utero. I got you twins in utero. All right. So can I have some of these cool pictures? Uh, you know what? I'm sending this out to over oh, okay. the internet. I just had a mistake and I. Right, right. Do you have any extra? There wasn't. No. I, I only had made. Then I stopped. Okay. 
All right, so I'm, I'm going to be blunt. This is my, my, my time now. I'm going to be blunt. And now, again, think of, now, I just want you to, I mean, we really would like some feedback with everybody because we would like to be giving this over to people who really are not as, as knowledgeable as you. So does this make sense as, as we ask these questions that people would ask them and would sort of, because like to me, once we got through this, people are going to, their heads are going to explode. You know what I mean? I, I think it's, it's well, we went into it a lot deeper than it had been. Oh, yeah, I know, but you, even if we argue. just went through the chart. I like to re- reiterate what I said before. I don't know anything. <laughs> all, right, all right. Okay. Well, so the point is, you know, you're, you're telling this to somebody, you're giving them all these worlds and here's this, it really is pretty. I mean, people. I mean, I think a lot of the people love to do Kabbalah, and I'm not sure what Kabbalah teaches you. I don't know if you learn any of this, but this is pretty intense stuff. I mean, as far as that. So the the point is, my, what I'm going to ask is, how do you, how do you know that this is going to happen, and why should I believe it? Okay, so I, I'm going to start with the second half of what Elena is asking, and, and that is, the why should we believe it? And I'm going to start. I'm going to I'm going to try to answer that question based on um, first of all dealing with the psychology of why somebody would not believe with it, believe it, and then and then I'm going to share with you a muscle that we studied together a little while ago from the Geshe Chaim. So so <clears throat> I think that people are afraid to believe this because. It's not something that, they, that any of us have ever experienced. Nobody's, nobody that we know of has been there and have come back to tell us about it. That's for sure true. Um, and it's really the whole concept of, of death and, and dying and what happens to the neshama and is there an afterlife is very scary for people. Either they, they don't want to think about it or anything that you're going to tell them about it, they, they really, they're not open to listening to it. So Rabbi Chil Mechel Tchachinsky wrote a sefer called Gesher Achaim. Gesher Achaim is is the Bible, if you will, of Hilchas Avelos. It really, it really covers all of Hilchas Avelos. In the last section of, of the Sefer, Gesher Achayim, which literally means the bridge to life, in the last section, he has, he has a whole section which he, where, in which he discusses the concepts of Neshama and the Guf. He discusses the concept, concepts of Olam Haba, of what it means, or Olam HaNeshamas, of what it means that the world moving on to the next phase, and what, how that's important. And he starts off with the following mashal. He uses the following parable to explain why we should accept what it is that Chazal are telling us, what, what our tradition tells us about what happens to the Olam Neshamas. He says like this, What's difficult for us to, to relate to is that nobody's ever seen it. And because nobody's ever seen it, it becomes hard for us to accept what somebody else has to say about it. So he's the, the, the Gesher Chaim writes, he says, imagine the following scenario. You have two twins that are in utero. So in, within, inside, within the womb, our tradition is that even in the womb, the, the fetus is, has a certain consciousness. As you know, you might have heard, the Gemara Nida talks about that a child in utero studies the whole Torah. He has a mouth that teaches him the whole Torah, and he can see from one end of the world to the other. But his, his existence is completely, is very limited compared to our existence. In other words, he lives in a very, very tight confines. His head is folded over all the way onto his knees. His food is fed to him directly through his navel, right? Directly through it by the umbilical cord that pumps the whatever nutrients are necessary to keep him alive right, right there. And he has this idyllic existence where there's no threats, where everything is, he lives in this bubble of, literally in a bubble of, not a bubble of air, but a bubble of, 
warm amniotic fluid that keeps him safe and no, I, I can't say dry, safe and safe and wet, right? And 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 everything is for his blood flow and everything else is taken care of from outside. And he has nothing to worry about, and that's his world, and that's exactly his. That's the way he functions. So Tchaikovsky suggests: imagine this. There's two. Imagine twins in utero. One of them's a believer, and the other's a skeptic. The believer has been told that outside this world of the of the of the uh, uh, embryo of the womb uh, is is a phenomenal world. It's it's beautiful. It's big. It's bright. There's something called the sun that's warm, and there's air that you can breathe, and there's beautiful sights to see, and you can ex- you you actually can sta- straighten up, and you can walk around, and and the play you can taste different things like food. You actually imbibe it, and your eyes are not just for like staring at your knees, but they actually are used to like. <laughs> Look around and see things, and you you can actually hear things, hear more than just the 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 gurgling and the bubbling of what's going on in, inside the womb, and all that. And the other the, the the child, the fetus, that's the skeptic says, "Come on, give me a break. Yeah. How, how, how do you know? Like says who? Our existence requires that we remain connected to these cords that give us all of our all of our existence." And, 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 you know, we, we don't, we don't, we, our eyes are not, your body unfolding, why would you, why would you want to unfold your body? Why would you want to expand beyond this tight little, it's so warm and secure over here, why would you want to go anywhere else? In the middle of the discussion, in the middle of, all of a sudden the lady goes into labor. And all of a sudden a hole opens up and the faithful, the faithful twin drops right out, right? And of course the, the skeptic is like, Oh my goodness! What happened to you? You're gone. I, I lost you. You disappeared. You went down the dark hole, and then, and, and and from far away, he has cries. And he's thinking, "Oh my! He must be in pain, terrible pain. He must be suffering." And and so, so meanwhile, outside, what's going on? Everybody's saying, "Mazel tov!" The baby's crying. The baby's alive, and he's breathing. And we that, need to right? get the kind of, right? So so. But the reality is, because you've never, just because you haven't been exposed to something, just because you, you're not aware of it, because it's never been, to, because you've never experienced it, doesn't necessarily mean that it doesn't exist. The reality is that that there are there are things that we can't know about that we can only receive as a masora as a tradition, and it's possible actually that there are things that are outside the scope of, the, of our own experiences that are actually fantastic and amazing and much and much better. The concept of olam of, of an olam hashamas or an olam haba of, of a world of complete pleasure of of, of tzadikim yoshim v'atzarosim roshem of of nanim ezivashchina the tremendous pleasure of what there is in the world to come that's a that's a pleasure that transcends anything that's here. Rav Dasta writes that if a person wants to even to begin to understand what it means the the, the pleasure of of the olam ha'emes of the world outside this world of being nanim ezivashchina of being of being davuk being connected to Hashem you would have to take all all the pleasure that you experienced in your entire life, right? right? So, so just imagine for just you know he goes to great lengths to describe this. But if you imagine you take you take take a bowl of ice cream, just just let's just use just the bowl of ice cream. Imagine a bowl of ice cream. Every spoon that you eat of that ice cream, or I eat when I eat ice cream, every spoon is like there's you really enjoy it. I don't know, maybe you don't like ice cream, but whatever, whatever, take whatever it is that you like, right? Every spoon, every every mouthful of it is delicious, it's amazing. Imagine if you could combine the pleasure of every single mouthful into one huge instant of absolute transcendent, just amazing enjoyment that, that, that just didn't stop. And then if you took that and imagine you could eat ice cream all day like that, 
And then not only will they, but all week. And by, by the way, eat it and never get tired of it. You know, it's a little and bit don't like get weight. Like, yeah. yeah, like, right. like the concept, like the concept, like the concept of the Yavanim. Like the, the, to them, all a God was was somebody that was able to enjoy all the physical pleasures of the world without ever getting tired of them. So that because physical pleasure, by definition, ultimately you really get sick of it. Whatever it is that you enjoy, if you have too much of it, you get tired of it. You get it becomes. Imagine it never became old. It never got to, and you could combine it all into that. Would all of that together wouldn't even begin to describe what the pleasure of Olam is. So when we start talking about Olam Neshama, so we start talking about a Neshama that leaves, that separates from the Gulf and it goes into a place where it has tremendous pleasure, we can't relate to that. So we think, oh, it's got, it can't be, it's nonsense. But, but in reality, that, that's really what the Olam Neshama, that's the experience of Olam Neshama, is, is a whole different level of experiencing a, a connection that is, that Misa, that death, the way, the way of, you know, it says in one place, it says, he says, the idea is, it's like, it's like you're driving the car. The car is just a means to arriving somewhere else. Once you arrive there, you climb out of the car and you go do whatever it is you want to do. The guf, your body, is only meant to get you up to a certain point. And then your neshama climbs out of the guf, out of the car, and it goes on to experience all the things that it needs to experience on a higher level without getting into all this stuff about olam aban, right? Well, just, just dealing with olam neshama is just the, the transition from life to death. That transition, is not, it's not an end. It's the beginning. It's, it's, it's moving into a whole new phase of existence that transcends anything that you can imagine here, like the fetus coming out of the womb. It's, it's, a, whole new, it's a whole new reality that you, that you weren't able to express until now, that now you're able to experience. That's what's happening to the neshama when it leaves the guf behind. So yes, it's true that, it, that it, those that are left behind, those that are, that are here in this world, are sad because they, they can no longer experience, they can no longer connect with that neshama. Because the only way that neshama is tied down to this world is, is because of the guf that it's, that, it, that it's connected to. And when it leaves that guf, when it leaves that body, when it leaves that physical body, so we don't, we don't get to experience it anymore. But the neshama itself, the person himself, what's he experiencing? He's like the fetus coming out into the world. He's like, wow, this is amazing. I can see things. I can hear things. I can, I can experience pleasure. I can eat on my own. I'm not dependent on somebody else. I mean, I have, I function, everything is... Every, and just like the, the fetus when it comes out, you know, my dad says the whole thing about when a fetus comes out into the world, everything turns backwards. The heart closes up. The, open, the heart has a big hole in it and it closes up. And, the, and, the, and the, 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 the blood flow clamps down on the umbilical cord so that the child doesn't hemorrhage. And the, and the, and the, the lungs turn, turn, turn around so that the, that the child is able to breathe instead of being in fluids. So now that's out in the air, everything turns around completely backwards and the child is happier than he ever could have been. The neshama, when it leaves the guf, that's a beginning. It's not an end. It's a whole new transitional phase. That's a whole new level of existence. That's ultimately, that's really what, that's really what we're waiting for. That's really what, that's, we're reaching a certain goal. Okay. So why is this relevant in the here and now? Really, okay. <laughs> so, does your mind go to the uh, neshama? So that's a fantastic question. Now he asks if your mind, if your ability to think, are you like, are you does your consciousness go with your neshama? So, so to answer that question, that's really a part of a different part of it. I'll share with you just this is before I'm answering Elena's question. The the neshama is made up of three parts. What's called what's called nefesh ruach and neshama. We've talked about this many times before. Nefesh is the animated physical part of the dimension of, of what it is. It's what what animates soul. It, it rests in the bloodstream. It rests in the blood flow. It's physical. Every living creature has has a nefesh. 
has a, that physical has that physical animated element of what they are. There's an intermediate. There's something that joins the nesham, the the nefesh, the the animated physical dimension with a higher spiritual world, which called which is called ruach, which is which is like think of that like a a, a breath of air flowing flowing through a straw. It's like just like you're connected at one end and at the other end, and the breath, the air that's flowing in between, connects the other side. The, the way the Svarim talk about it is if, if you think about a glass blower, when he blows that glass, so he puts the, pip, the pipe in his, in his mouth on one end, and he's blowing the glass, and depending on how hard he blows, or how gently he blows, or how he blows it, it shapes that piece of glass, that glass, and what, how that glass is going to turn out. That's the ruach. That's, the, that's the, the connector between the physical and the spiritual dimension. It rests in the area of speech. It specifically manifests through speech. It's manifest spiritually through speech. It rests in the area of the cardiovascular system, of the ability to breathe, of taking in air and manipulating that over your vocal cords to create connection, which is, it, it, basically it takes whole and breaks it down into little pieces and allows you to put it back together as a whole. Experiencing oneness, experiencing the, the, the entirety of, of reality, which I'm going to talk about in one second to answer Elena's question. And the highest level of it is neshama, which is the, the ability of abstract thought, the awareness of the abstract and the, and the world. So the answer to, your, to the, in answer to your, the simple answer to your question is, is yes, the consciousness is an element of the neshama, and that goes together with it when the neshama leaves the guf, despite the fact that the physical guf, the nefesh, stays behind. The nefesh is no longer functioning, and, the, and therefore the ruach is cut off, but the neshama element, the neshama, is, is still there. And neshama comes from the word neshima, which is the breath of Hashem, which is the breath of God breathing into into a person, that's that's, uh, that's, uh, that's, uh, that's that's its expression of its reality. But let's, uh, let's talk about what this what that means over here. The mission of us says as follows: Mission of us says this world is only a prosdor, is only a corridor, it's only a an antechamber for the world to come. Right? The, the real the real expression of what of what a person is, what what where we want to be, is what we what we uh, what what we have to be, what we have to become in the world to come. And if that is true. That what ultimately the purpose of existence is what we will be in the world to come, then there has to be some sort of guidance to, to how to create that reality here in this physical dimension. And that's the, the concept of working on the neshama or developing the neshama so that it can become something that's real. But what that means is as follows is that, is that the physical world as we know it is everything in the physical world is a projection of the spiritual of a spiritual reality. Everything that we see. The, be, the best way to describe this is like this. We talk about Hashem as being an infinite being. Right? Hashem is infinite. God is infinite. Yet, in this last couple of weeks, what we've been reading, when we talk about Yitzhak Mitzrayim, we talk about the Yad Hashem all the time. We talk about Hashem's nostrils. We talk about Hashem, Haron Af Hashem. We talk about Hashem getting angry and, and heat coming out of it and, and, and he breathes hard through his nostrils. What, what, is, what, is it, what, are, what are these physical manifestations or, or as the... the uh, in the fancy way to say it is, what are these anthropomorphisms of God supposed to be? Right? The, meaning the physical expression of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, what are they? What, what does that mean? So, think about it like this. If you take a movie, if you take a, if you take a, if you take a, if you watch a movie, if you're watching pictures, if you're watching a moving picture, so you're seeing two-dimensional images on a screen, Right? And those two-dimensional di- Im- images are there because they're a projection of light, but they're not actually there at all. You can see a person moving across that screen, right, or whatever it is, you're watching television, whatever it is, they, they, but they're just a projection of light. But the, that projection of light would allow you that if you ever saw that person, if you ever came in contact with that person, you would actually recognize them. You would know exactly who they are. 
We talked about this the other week when we talked about in Sphere's Omer. When I want to describe somebody to you, I describe parts of their personality. I describe personality traits that they have. Now, those, that, that single personality trait or multiple personality traits that I describe to you are not the person themselves. They're not, they're not the essence of what that person is. They're expressions, they're outward expressions of that person. And if I do a good job of describing who they are, not, I could do it either as their, as their physical description or I could just describe their emotional, their, 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 their character traits to you. All of those would be parts of what that person are and you would have created, a, projected an image based on what I've, what, I've, what I've told you and put all of that together. When you meet the person, all of a sudden it will all come together, click together as, a, as an entirety of what the oneness of that person is, of, of, the, of what the whole person is. The, the, the individual descriptions of what they are wouldn't really capture the person. The same way as the projected light of what a person's image is on a screen is not the person himself either. If you go over and touch that projected image, there's nothing there, right? The physical reality is a projection of the reality of what the spiritual world really is. The physical reality... So, so when we talk about a Yad Hashem, so we're saying that a hand... When I look at my hand, when I look at my hand, what I'm seeing is a projection of what a hand really is in the spiritual dimension. So, so it's, not the, it's, not a, it's not an appendage with digits attached to it that's able to grasp things. It's, it's much deeper than that. It's much more than that. The same way as the two-dimensional image on the screen, is not, that's not the person that, they, that the picture was taken off. The reality of what that person is, when you meet the three-dimensional person in flesh and blood, he's, he's a whole lot more than what that is. The, the reality of what a hand is, is much more than the physical project, the, the projection of what we see in the physical dimension. But the reason why it exists here in the physical dimension is in order to be able to, for us to be able to, when, when we will perceive it in the spiritual world, we'll be able to recognize the reality of what it is. So that means that all the things that we do in this world, the reason why we do them, the reason why we talked about uh, what I said before, manifesting spiritual potential in the physical dimension is by manifesting this, the physical projection of it, when you come to see it in the, world, in the real world, in the parallel dimension of the spiritual realm, you'll be able to recognize what that reality is, as opposed to if you had never seen it before, it would be completely meaningless to you. It would have, it would have no significance to you. It would, have no, it would have no impact on you. So the concept of doing mitzvah, so the concept of, doing, of taking actions in this world, the concept of, of connecting the spiritual and the physical realm here in the physical dimension, of using our, our physical body, which is, every part of our physical body is a projection of a spiritual reality that is, exists on a higher plane than what we're seeing it as its, as its physical expression of what it is. I see that I'm not. We're not, I'm not connecting with you. So. But what's real is not us. We are not real. How do I know this? Listen to this. Oh, ah, so the, how do you know you're not real? How do you know that the, the, the expression, the reality of what we exist in is not real? I'll tell you, I'll tell you what. You feel real, right? No, but your neshama, your body is just the house, but your neshama is here. Yes, your neshama is here, but your neshama is projecting the spiritual reality into the world. That's the real element. How do you, you know how the Rebbe showed us that that, that 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 could be true? That even something that you think is absolutely real is not really real, is not the real existence? In other words, it's real in, an, in as much as this is the place where you can create an awareness of what these things are supposed to look like when you'll encounter them in the spiritual dimension. 
If you don't create the, if you don't create this, the manifestation of that here in the physical dimension, when you come across it in the spiritual dimension, it will be meaningless to you. Not your neshama, the spiritual realities of what your neshama can encounter in the higher dimension. Back, going back the, the, the concept of the, of the shechina, of the idea of an aura, of what Hashem's projecting outwards, you're connecting to the singularity of what Hashem is, will be meaningless to you if you haven't created some manifestation of that here in the physical dimension. So we do mitzvos, those are our connection. The word mitzvah means tzavta, it's something that bonds me to a higher dimension. The same way as when I meet a person and the whole, the entirety of what that person is is more than all the descriptions that I could make of them. Because they're, they're really an, an overlay and an interplay of all of those things together. They're, they're, they're not any one dimension of what, I, what I'm describing. The same way as the, as the two-dimensional image on the screen is not the person themselves. It's just, it's just a projection of light, of something that's ephemeral. It's not something that, it's, it doesn't have any reality. The whole of this reality of the world, even though we perceive it as something that's real, this is only, this is only a projection of the real reality, which is the spiritual dimension. Now, how, how do we know this to be true? Where do you see this? Because, because we have something that, that is a perceived reality that we know is not a reality that happens to us here in this world. And we call that dreams. A person goes to sleep and they have a dream. And they have a really, really vivid dream. So much so that they wake up in their bed, I don't know, either screaming or laughing or smiling, whatever it is, what it, right, what, depending on whatever the dream was, if it was a good dream or a bad dream, it, it was so real that when you wake up, your, your sheets are soaked. It's, it's, it, it, it was so real. But it, was not, it wasn't real at all. There was nothing there. In fact, it's so not real, by the way, that scientists can show now that most dreams happen in the space of very, very little time, very compressed time. Things that you in your dream are drawn out over months and years actually take place if they, when, they, when they can measure the brainwaves or when they're taking place in a matter of minutes. So you're, you're living and experiencing a long, drawn-out experience that's completely not real. It's totally ephemeral. It's totally, it's totally nothing. What's the purpose of that? Why is, it, why, is it, why is it that there are dreams? In fact, the Gemara says that a dream is one-sixtieth of nevuah, of prophecy. It's one-sixtieth of connecting to a, higher, to, a, to a higher dimension. Meaning it's on the very edge of, of reality versus non-reality. Because that's what one-sixtieth is. And one-sixtieth is when something becomes, when it loses its, 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 its reality of, of what it is. But the, the concept of dreams is to show you that even things that seem, this is absolutely real. You cannot tell me, when I hit my hand, it hurts. You can't tell me my hand is not here. Well, in my dream, I can hit my hand very hard and I can bleed and I can feel the pain and it didn't happen at all. Because this reality is only a projection of what the real reality is. And the only way that that real reality will make any difference is based on the actions that you do in this world. When we say that this world defines what I'll be in the next world, it's because only if I manifest that spiritual potential in the physical world will I be able to recognize it when I, when I come across it in the spiritual dimension. It's when I come across its real three-dimensional, so to speak, reality in the, in, the, in the higher dimension. When I come across a hand of Hashem, to understand what a hand of Hashem is, I first have to see a hand. I can't talk about the hand of the Rebbe 
without knowing what a hand is. So to the degree that I can know what this hand is, but this hand is only a projection of what a real hand is. What about the negative things? The bad things that you do? So the negative things create destruction. They create, they create an impediment to being able to see, to see the, to so see the reality. What is that reality in, in the other world? It blocks is, you from is, seeing. Is it not a reality? It creates a blockage. It creates a blockage that you can't. That create. It destroys your connection to higher dimensions. It, just, it And what happens is in the in in the olam, what we call in the olam haba is you'll experience that as black spaces, as empty spaces, as, as destroyed lots, as buildings that are knocked down. It, it, just to give you an, you know, it's, that's the way the Sfarim talk about it. You're just you you either build worlds or you destroy worlds. So that your experience built up realities or destroyed realities. Does it destroy the good things that you've done? It seems to have its own. It seems to have its own exist- negative like existence. A, a, an empty space. Could have been something. Right, but you understand that we're discussing it in the context of space and time, and and in that world, there's no such thing as space. So it's very difficult. It's the same way as we talk about a, a kisei akavod. We don't mean a throne, but whatever the manifestation of. When we'll describe it, to describe that reality, I will describe a, a, a throne, even though it's not a throne, it's not a physical throne. You can't think of it as a physical throne. You can't think of it as a, as a physical reality. That's why the Ramam says that, that, that what will be in the Muslim in, in, in the Olam Abba, the, the Ramam says a lashon like this, the Ramam says, Lo we can describe these things. We can talk about things like Melchemes Gogomagog, or the coming back of the Beis Hamikdash. Or these say we can talk about them now. And it, but but if we think of them as the physical manifestation of that, that's a, that's a mistake. It's not a physical manifestation in the way that we perceive physical manifestations. That's like saying that the two-dimensional image in the movie is real, right? That's like saying the the the, the wound that I get in a dream is is a real wound. It's a it's a it's a it, that's not what it is. It's, but it was real. I experienced it, but it's not. But it, that's not the experience. It, it's a. It's an experience on a on a higher dimension. That's really. That's that's really what, what. What. So. So this world is the what we're trying to do. You know, there's a famous marshal of the Chavetz Chaim. He says like this. Chavetz Chaim says that if there's a fellow that got got on a boat, right, and and he was traveling from one place to another for Parnassa, and he got shipwrecked, and he ended up on an island. And as he, as he washes up on the island, he sees that the entire beach is covered with diamonds. So he, right away, he starts grabbing the diamonds and filling up his pockets, right? And, 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 he, and he, he stumbles up the beach and he comes across a little town. And he says, I'm, I'm really hungry. I need, I need to have something to eat. He says, well, you've got to pay for it. So he starts taking out diamonds. And they laugh at him. Diamonds. <laughs> we could all go down to the beach and get diamonds. Those are worthless. We need animal fat. That's what's worth something. Go in the forest and you catch an animal and you know boil down its fat and then bring that and that that's the that's that's the currency that's the way to that's the way you earn things. So the fellow goes out and you know makes panasa anyway. He's a, an entrepreneurial kind of fellow and he ends up becoming quite quite wealthy. He has quite a store of vats. In the meantime, he's worrying about his family and trying. He really wants to go home. So over the course of time, he gets a shipbuilder to build him a huge, humongous ship and he loads up all his barrels of fat and he's off. He's going home, right? He gets home, and, and the family comes rushing out to see him. They've been, he's been gone for a year, and as they come to the dock, there's like a stench that's coming up. He said, what is this? What did you? He said, oh, I'm, I'm wealthy. Beyond. I was on this island, and, and I brought back all this. And they said, what? what? 
it smells, it's terrible, right? And then they see they're caught in his shoe is like a is a something that's sparkling. They say, What's that? He says, Oh, that's a diamond. Ah, that's a worthless. They say, Meshuganab is the what that's a diamond. Isn't that worthless? But the point is you have to know where you're going, what's worth something. What, what are the things that actually build so when we chase after things in the physical dimension, when we're here in this world, right? So you're going to the Alma you have to know what the currency in the world to come is gonna be. And the currency in the world to come is how are you manifest spiritual potential in the physical dimension? That's the currency that counts. Because that's what's ultimately going to allow you to experience that world. If you bring diamonds with you to the Olamas, you bring or you bring whatever tubs of fat to the Olamas, right, which is which is the physical wealth and covered and all those other things that are not manifest, what is it worth? You don't you don't you 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 come you're here but you, you come with nothing. You got the, what's covered worth in the in the, in the, in the where, where you're standing in front of the run from mouth mouth and mouth and what could covered be worth? How, how could your covered, but whatever covered you're going to have, whatever honor you have, whatever glory you have, it's not, it's, it's nothing compared to it's, it's worthless, pointless. The only thing that you can have is how was I manifested a connection to the Yerushalayim to make myself closer to him. That's what I'm. That's ultimately that's the Gemara says in a number of places. The Gemara says Misha Tarach the Erev Shabbos. Somebody who works on Erev Shabbos. Yochal b'Shabbos, he'll be able to eat on Shabbos. What does that mean? It means in the physical world, what does it mean? It means on Shabbos you're not allowed to cook anymore. So if you didn't, if you didn't cook anything before Shabbos, you'll have nothing to eat on Shabbos. You want to know in the Olma Emes how you're going to eat something? You better prepare food. Meaning, you better prepare the manifestation of your reality, how it's going to be over there. If you don't prepare it, you don't set it up. You'll have nothing to eat for Shabbos. You have no, you have no experience. You have no, you, you can't experience that reality. That's, that's what our Nishamas want. And Hashemus wants to be manifest in the physical dimension so that they'll have something to be able to eat from, they'll be able to something to knit, to knit from. You, you have to make sure you bring the right currency with you. You don't bring the right currency with you, then you haven't accomplished anything. And that's, that's our goal. That's what, that's what our Nishamas, when the Nishamas leaves, it goes from here to the Olam Nishamas, it goes to that intermediary stage. To be able to be Nanam Zivashchina, you have to have created the receptacles through which the Shechina can flow. And those, those receptacles are our Torah, my Sintovim, the Torah, the, the positive, the Limana Torah, the connection Torah to a higher dimension. That's where, that's where we really connect them. All right, that's this story. Do you like a review? I, I, I think he actually said a lot more that's in the book, but if you want to review in the book, um, I'm going to send this out probably tomorrow. If everybody left their email. I think I have everybody's email. Um, um, but what we have, what we're going to have is like, the, page, uh, the parts of the book that we're going to, we're not 